Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, good morning, Covenant. Thank you for that testimony, Travis. We are, are looking forward to this year as we have this theme of living by faith, of including faith stories, your faith stories. Mine will be next week where I am lifting a fork. Um, a straining, no. Travis, that's incredible, man. I tell you, I saw that lifting the truck and uh, way back when online. And so when I saw the first cut, I, I sent back to Nathan. I said, man, you got to put the clip in there of him lifting that truck in that video. That's just incredible. For one thing, I thought his head was just going to explode. It was so red when he picks that thing up. But what a wonderful testimony of how you can turn a sport into an opportunity to experience the power of God, and the presence of God in your life as you walk by faith. You know, church, if you haven't uh, realized, I'm sure you, most of you have, the religious landscape in America is changing dramatically right before our eyes. And we can quantify this through research. The Pew Research Center has done many surveys, does that every year. Last year they did a survey that showed that over the last 10 years, the percent of Americans who identify as Christians has declined from 76% to 64%, declined by 12%. And over the same period of time, the percent of Americans who identify as atheist or agnostic has increased from 17% to 26%. So what this means, practically, for example, is that by voting block now in America, the, the voting block of evangelical Christians is equal in size now to atheist agnostic, which is equal in size to Roman Catholic Christians. And so it is changing the political landscape of America simply because of people's religious views. And as a result, we have uh, in turn seen a more vocal um, reaction and I would say attacks towards Christianity and religion in general, but especially Christianity, especially from our entertainment sec segment. Uh, one in particular that always seems to, to irritate me every time I see him is Bill Maher. Uh, a few years ago, he released a movie that he thought was funny, I didn't, uh, which he called Religiculous, which was the com combination of the word religion and ridiculous. And uh, it was not a very funny, it was just a, a, a you know, he teed up to, to preach at us about what he thinks about religion, which is essentially this. He says, I think religion is a neurological disorder. 
He's, a, he's an atheist, and he just makes no bones about anybody who is, believes anything about God. You're just a moron in his mind, right? But we shouldn't be surprised by this, and there's nothing new here because entertainers and writers in general have always think, they think that they're better than the common man, and this is true in the 1800s. Mark Twain, for example, uh, who I love his writings, but he said if Christ were here, there's one thing he would not be, a Christian, Right? And so it should not surprise us if we see in the days ahead that the attacks will, inc- will increase. But don't be, don't be deceived by these attacks. Just because entertainers and people who claim to not believe in God attack us does not believe that they do not have faith themselves. They do. They have faith in a political leader or in money or in their careers, or in their, their uh, achievements, or in their possessions, or their accomplishments, or in pleasure, or they have, they have faith in something that gives their life meaning, and purpose, and hope, and some type of significance. Dr. Paul Tripp has said that everyone hooks their lives to something. Everyone wants to be sure. Everyone wants to have hope. You have never met an irreligious person in your life. Irreligion is a religion. You've never met a faithless person in your life. Faithlessness is itself a faith. Everyone lives by faith. It is impossible to not do so. This year, We're going to focus on living by faith. What does this mean? What is faith? What is our faith? What does it look like to live out our faith by faith and not by human works? And and why is this so important? Why does the Bible spend so much time talking about living by faith? These are just some of the important questions that we want to look at this year. Now, our this ministry year, uh, not the rest of the calendar year, we we look at a ministry year from essentially September through the end of May. Now, our our approach is going to be a little bit different this year. We're going to begin this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. It contains what is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It has a long list of heroes of the faith, people with their own faith stories. Stories like, you know, we saw just a moment ago with Travis, and and their stories are recorded in the Bible for us. And and people that, you know, we, we admire. I mean, as believers, when all is said and done, And we come before God, don't we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Don't we want to have a life that is filled with significance and purpose and meaning and satisfaction? A life filled with hope? I mean, that's what we want. And these people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, that's what they experienced And they're commended for their faith. And so we will often refer back to Hebrews chapter 11. It may be just to read one verse, and then we will jump to the Old Testament where we will read a passage where where the details of their story are contained, 
and it's just referred to here in Hebrews chapter 11. But Hebrews chapter 11 is just that kind of overarching theme where it's God commending people for living by faith. And beginning in November, and, and for most of the ministry year, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to go back to, to what J.R. and Christy started with this morning, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there, and, and we're going to work our way through many of the stories in the book of Genesis, and we're going to tie them into the gospel, into our faith, and how we live out our faith by faith, and what that looks like. But beginning next week, for three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to work our way through the book of Habakkuk and explore the idea of living by faith and fearful times. So if you want to get a jump on the next, the next three weeks, you might, in your quiet time, do some Old Testament reading in the book of Habakkuk and get a jump on it. How many of you have read Habakkuk in the last few weeks? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, that's not one that we read on a regular basis. A couple of you have, all right? So maybe get a jump on that. But this morning, just to kick the series off, we need to walk away with a better understanding of two things, the character of faith and the centrality of faith. So let's start in verse 1 with the character of faith. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Parents, have you ever said to your children, I have faith in you? Ever said that? I actually said that to my son this week. He came home and I got to see him for a few days. And I, and I said that at one point. So I hugged him and said, I have faith in you, son. I believe in you. And as nice as that is, and as encouraging as that is, and as much as our children need to hear us affirm them in that way, that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not inspirational feelings, fuzzy feelings. Biblical faith is not a gut instinct, okay? Biblical faith is not a historical set of facts that we get just because we're born into the, to a family of believers. That's not biblical faith at all. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, when you hear the word is, you assume that you're about to hear a definition, right? But that's not what we have in verse 1. Our text here, verse 1, does not provide us with a theological definition. It's more of a description of faith's character based upon its function and its operation. We don't really have a theological definition of faith here in Hebrews 11.1. 1. But when we look at this verse, we have to understand that verse 1 hinges on a very important word, an expression. It's the, the underlying word is the Greek word hypostasis. It's, in, it's translated the assurance of in the English Standard Version. Different English versions translate hypostasis differently. Some translate it in a subjective manner. Some translate it in an objective manner. The, the ESV, from which we read from normally here at Covenant, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, which we often refer to, uh, these versions, they've all chosen to translate hypostasis from a subjective perspective. In other words, now faith is the assurance, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. This entered into the, the, the translation stream first with really Martin Luther. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't actually think that's the best way to, to translate in this context 
the word hypostasis. I don't understand why the ESV did this. I love the ESV. I don't understand why they chose this. You'll see in a second, they don't do it in other places in Hebrews. I think the objective approach is better. The, the better word is substance or reality. And, and you see this in, in other translations. So for example, the New King James Version will say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Lexham English Bible will say, now faith is the realization of what is hoped for, the proof of things not seen. The New English Bible says that uh, faith gives substance to our hopes. Faith gives substance to our hopes. Faith is the reality of our hopes. There's an objectiveness to faith. I think the definitive lexicon is one that, it, it, you know, we, we pastors call the BDAG, right? Because we don't like to say Browns Dryer or, 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 or Gringich, whatever the whole line is, BDAG. And, and what BDAG says is that among the meanings that can be authenticated for this verse, a strong claim can be made for the word realization. Realization. Now, faith is the realization of our hopes. And this is what it actually says. In faith, things hoped for become realized or things hoped for take on reality. It's, it's a business word. It's a real estate word, a, a philosophical word. So for those of you who've done some real estate, it's often in other, other arenas, it's translated as a title deed. We heard it in J.R. and Christie's little uh, lesson to the children this morning. When they were, God love you guys working with that Play-Doh <laughs> and the imprint and all that. You know, I felt sorry for you. Um, sorry, not sorry. You're an engineer. You're supposed to test your processes, right? All you engineers, you were thinking that, weren't you guys and gals? You're all thinking that, but uh, I get you. I know you tested it, but that's Murphy for you, right? I mean, that's also engineers understand that, Murphy. And so, you know, you talk about the imprint, the image, right? And this is where, this is where the ESV gets it right. We have another example of this same word being used in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3. By faith, we understand that, uh, excuse me, that's not, uh, that's not the, the right one. I missed a verse here. Chapter 11, where am I at? Chapter 1, verse 3. We got 11, verse 3. Up here. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, so Jesus is the hypostasis. He's the exact representation, the exact imprint. And this is what faith is. It is the realization, the reality, rather than the appearance. It is the substantial essence. Now, faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence another important word, of things not seen. That word evidence here, it has a spectrum of meaning ranging from, from proof 
and conviction to the perception of truth. It's, it's kind of in that range there of proof and conviction to the perception of truth. It's in that range there. In other words, faith, it shapes our convictions of things not seen. Faith shapes our perceptions of what is real and true. Remember Paul Tripp, we talked about him just a few moments ago, quoted how everyone has faith, he says. Irreligion is a religion. He speaks to this idea that the, that the thing that I take as my hope, I put on as glasses through which I look at and interpret my world. Faith, right, it, it shapes my perception of the truth. That thing that I hook my life to, that I have hope in, right? Is it, is it money? Then, then money becomes the glasses through which I, I'm now placing my faith and I'm looking at everything in this world. So therefore money, if money has my faith, wealth and prosperity becomes the glasses through which I interpret the world. Is it a particular vision? If my, if my hope is grounded in a particular vision of America, right? If that's what my faith is in, if my hope is in this, my faith is now a perception of America, and I look at all the events in America through the lenses of that faith system, and I react to what's going on in America through those lenses. And that, that becomes my reality. So the thing that I hook my life to, that I put my hope in, Paul Tripp is saying, whatever that thing may be, and it can be a good thing, it can be your children, right? It can be a ministry of your church. It can be your nation. It, it, can, be, it can be your career. It can be your accomplishments. It can be any number of good things, but when you hook your life to that and you put your hope in that and you're investing your significance and even your identity in that thing, now you've put your faith in that thing. That becomes real, so real to you that you are now perceiving all of life. If that's what you look through, that's your grid. And that becomes your reality. So if I live by faith in money... Wealth and prosperity is the glasses through which I interpret the world. But Hebrews 11 faith is not this. Hebrews 11 faith is a God-inspired certainty. It is a God-oriented, a God-centered certitude through which we see everything. This influences every decision because the unseen and spiritual realm through faith becomes realized. And even more important to us than the actual physical seen realm that we live in. The spiritual unseen realm becomes just as real as the physical world that we touch and walk in. It becomes even more influential in our lives Biblical faith makes the unseen realms of the heavenlies 
have more impact and more influence in shaping our lives than the nightly news. That's what biblical faith does. Okay? And we've seen this throughout history. You remember uh, back in June, those of you who are with us, we were going through the book of Romans, and I uh, came to chapter 13, and I told you the story of Corey Ten Boom. And I recommended to you that you read the book, The Hiding Place. I hope some of you have read it. If you haven't, please read it. It's a great book. Her and her family, the Dutch Christians, Dutch Reformed Christians, they, they hid Jewish refugees from the Nazis during the occupation of Holland. And ultimately, they were found out. They were turned in. And Corey and her sister, her, her parents were killed. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were sent to the concentration camp, Ravensbrück. It's an incredible story of, of what God did through her and Betsy at the concentration camp. Betsy would ultimately die there. And of course, the story also carries on how Corey would interact with the SS guards who later, after the war, would become Christians and come to her asking for forgiveness. It's a powerful story if you've never read it. But Corey Ten Boom tells the story <clears throat> of the day that she entered into Ravensbrook. And as she was going into the concentration camp, she had, had rolled up, and, and she wasn't a large girl who could hide things, but she rolled up extra clothes, and most importantly, Bibles. And she stuffed them under her clothes. Now, it was not a very good disguise. And of course, if you know anything about the concentration camps, when the Jews would walk into the concentration camps and lines, the guards were there. They had checkpoints. They would pat them down. They would do this several times in order to, to get every possible jewel, any kind of uh, valuable off of them, strip them down to virtually nothing so that they could take that and turn it into money and bounty and, and just, you know, things like this. And so as she's in this line, progressing towards the checkpoint, Corey Ten Boom begins to pray, and she prays specifically, God, would you send your angels and blind the guards to me and help me pass through these checkpoints? And her testimony is that as she got to the test checkpoint, the first checkpoint, and then the second checkpoint, the guards checked everyone around her. They didn't check her. And she said, not only did they not check me, it was like they looked right through me as if I was not even there. And she was able to go into the camp with her clo extra clothing and the Bibles, and that became the source of, of, of ministry and inspiration to the women in that camp where people came to Christ and ministry occurred. She would later say this, faith is like radar that sees through the fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Faith is a divinely given certitude which causes future hopes to influence our present reality, to change our present everyday experience. It's a, it's a divinely given certainty in future hope and God's promises. 
that affects everything that we do. So for example, we know we've been promised that we have been accepted by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That we've been declared righteous by God in Jesus Christ. This reality in heaven has been declared over us. This certainty that we have, this faith that we have in this declaration by God changes how we interact even now. This promise, this hope that we have that one day our battle with sin will one day be over. We will be fully sanctified. Sin will be destroyed. It changes how we approach our everyday temptations, doesn't it? We're told that one day we will be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is set aside for us, guaranteed in heaven. Why do we need to pursue the things that this world pursues when we are incredibly wealthy and all things have been given to us through Christ by our heavenly Father? Every blessing is given to us, right? It changes how we live and focus our lives. We're told that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. This blessed hope, the Bible says, shapes and changes how we live our lives today. Divinely given certitude in that future promise. This is faith. Faith in that promise of Jesus' second coming affects how we live our lives today. This is biblical faith. Biblical faith is not, oh, what a beautiful morning. Okay? It's not a fuzzy feeling. It's not inspiration. It's not just a set of historical dry facts. It is a divinely God-inspired, God-oriented certainty and a future hope and the promises of God and the character of God that changes how we live our life. William Lane who wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews, says, faith gives to the objects of hope the force of present realities, and it enables the person of faith to enjoy the full certainty that in the future these realities will be experienced. This changes how we experience suffering. This changes how we experience the attacks of those who don't believe in God. This changes how we experience the ups and downs of political seasons. This changes how we experience the successes and the failures of our Christian walk. Faith. The character of faith. In a nutshell... Faith is a life-altering reliance upon God. It's a life-altering reliance upon God. There's the character of faith. How about the centrality of faith? Now, in the months ahead, in the months ahead, there is so much that we will learn about faith, and hopefully. All of us, we will see our faith grow deeper. It will become more robust. It will become more vibrant. Our faith will be challenged. A huge goal that I have for all of us is to see that our faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just a New Testament faith, 
but that it is grounded in the Old Testament, that our faith is a biblical, whole Bible faith, Old Covenant and New Covenant combined faith. And certainly as a church, right, over the next year, uh, we're going to be challenged to take huge steps of faith as a church. And so we need to have the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds and our hearts and to strengthen our faith. But in these opening verses of chapter 11, as the author begins to list out the various biblical heroes, let's not overlook why faith is so important, why it's so crucial, why it is so central to our lives, really for two reasons. First of all, it changes our lives because it's through faith that we're reconciled to God. He says in verse 2, for it is by, by it the people of old received their commendation. In other words, their commendation from God. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In November, we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. But for now, notice that what God commended, that faith that he was commended, was, was resulted in righteousness, right? We've always related, humanity is always related to God, not through works, but through faith. It's through faith that we are reconciled to God. So just like Abel, you and I today, we are declared by, righteous by God, we're commended by God, not through our human works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith that we receive this righteousness from God that comes through Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, right, we, we went through the book of Romans, we just finished it, but it was about a year ago, or a little less than, a, a little more than a year ago, that we were in Romans chapter 3, and we saw these verses, now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets, te prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, if you're here this morning or you're watching via the internet, all of us created in the image of God are born sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Abel was not commended to God because he obeyed God and did the right thing. He was commended because of faith. We're never, we never relate to God through good works. It's not our obedience that earns God's commendation. It's faith. And in this case, it's at, here's the Old Testament looking to Christ in the future. We in the, look back as a historical event. It's faith in Christ and another person's righteousness. Abel, maybe as good a person as he was, was still a sinner, just as we are sinners and all falling short of the glory of God. How are we reconciled to God? We're reconciled to God by faith. And so if you've never turned to God through Christ in faith, this is where the Christian life begins. It begins by admitting you're a sinner and trusting in Christ and receiving His righteousness as your own by confessing this need. The Christian life starts with faith. 
and then it goes to works, right? No, of course not. The Christian life starts through faith, and it continues with faith, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The Christian life, from beginning to end, it all is by faith. It's through faith that we're reconciled to God. Second reason why this is so important and so central to us is in verses five through and six. It's through faith that we please God. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That to me is perhaps one of the most startling and maybe in some ways frightening statement in the Bible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Say that with me out loud. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. One more time. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I don't think you really believe it, so let's say it one more time, okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. Wow. Think about that for a moment. All these people, their faith. And you, and you look at these men, uh, you look at Abel, you look at Enoch, and, and Enoch was obviously a, a man of, of incredible character, and God doesn't even let him die. He's, but they're all sinners, just as we are. And, and, and you look at all the people of Hebrews chapter 11, and, and here's one of the things that you see about them. Some of these guys were real stinkers. Okay? Was it that their faith was so much greater than us? And they're all sinners just like we are. And this is what's so important for us to get here this morning, right? It's not that these people had, that their faith was so much greater than our faith necessarily. Maybe at times it is and at times it wasn't. It's not that their quality of their faith was so much more awesome than the quality of your faith. It's not that they, that they attained something that we can never attain. What was true about them is true about us. It was the object of their faith. Remember what Paul Tripp said, everybody has faith. Listen, Christians, we're no different than anybody else in this world. We all have faith in something. In fact, there's people of other religions who have more faith, I would say, than I have. They're much more diligent in their faith than me. Maybe stronger faith, they'll blow themselves up, right? But it's the object of their faith that is different. And that's what we have to get into our heads this morning. It's the object of our faith. It's not the amount, it's not the quality which makes faith true and genuine. And this is great news for us. Because true faith, biblical faith, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's gonna have ups and downs. It's going to go forward and back. It's going to have peaks and valleys. It can have long periods of dryness, depression, doubt. 
But true faith has God and his glory and his word and his character and his kingdom and his plan as its focal point. True biblical faith. These people in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, they are far from perfect. They are sinners just like we are. They had highs and lows, good days and bad days, but they experienced what we also experienced, a God of grace and a God of love and who who interacts with us that even when we have weak faith, as long as that weak faith is properly oriented towards him, it pleases him. And he commends it. And that is so encouraging because I know I'm looking at some people this morning whose faith is probably weak. I know mine is up and down and all over the place. I think it changes with the weather sometimes. And one of, the parts, one of my regular prayers is, God, strengthen my faith. Strengthen my faith. This is an act of grace. And so the good news of the gospel this morning, church, is you may come in here this morning with weak faith. You may come in with doubts. You may come in with anger, discouragement, anxiety, whatever it may be. It's not the quality, your personal strength of character and faith that brings about the commendation of God. It's Where's your faith oriented? Where's the object of your faith? Weak faith oriented towards God is better than a strong faith oriented towards anything else in this universe. And so to leave you with this thought from a wonderful voice from the 1800s, that great preacher Charles Spurgeon, for all of us who maybe even this morning are We look at our faith and we say, Lord, have mercy. Receive these words of grace. He says, the weakness of your faith will not destroy you. A trembling hand may yet receive a golden gift. Aren't you glad God commends us because our faith is simply directed towards him and not because we have our acts all together? Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that your faith was perfect. And you took our place. You lived that life we were to live and you died in our place so that we who can gather here at Covenant Church with all kinds of weaknesses and strengths of faith depending upon the week that we have had or the month, maybe the year or decade, we can still celebrate the fact that you have us strongly in your grip And that the weakness of our faith this morning will not destroy us. That your grace overcomes that weakness. That you shower us with your love and your grace. And so, Lord Jesus, I would ask for all of us here this morning, if our faith is weak, Lord, we believe. Forgive us our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. As a church, would you pour out your grace upon us? Would you help us to be a people who walk by faith? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.